to Align and Hustle. I'm your host, Kathy Spence, photographer, entrepreneur, and brand strategist. Each week, I will bring you inspiring conversations that will help you expand your mind, align with your purpose, and take action towards creating a life you love. Are you ready? Let's do this. Well, hey there. Welcome back to Align and Hustle. On today's episode, we're doing uh, things a little bit differently. We're going the mompreneur route. This episode is for all the moms out there. I am chatting with multi-passionate serial entrepreneur Chantelle Bisson. She has done it all and now is the author of Raising Your Kids Without Losing Your Cool. It's a candid conversation about motherhood, wanting more for yourself, knowing yourself, aging, midlife, taking risks, and taking the next right step. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And without further ado, here is my interview with Chantelle Bisson. so much Chantel for being here today. Uh, I really wanted to have you on one of the uh, pilot episodes of the podcast because I think your story is so inspiring. Yay well thank you. Thanks for having me as one of your first. I feel so special. (laughs) Like I was saying I have a million questions to ask you but first I wanted to start with your book Raising Your Kids Without Losing Your, Your Cool. I wanted to start with this line in the introduction because it hit me really in, it hit me in the chest when you said being a mother never truly crossed my mind. Not ever. I have not one single memory of envisioning my life with a husband or babies as part of the equation. And the reason this hit me is because I think a lot of women feel the same. You know, they have dreams and aspirations for their lives and being a wife and mother isn't necessarily in the plan for them and they need to put their own lives and dreams on hold in order to fulfill that role and that purpose as a mother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it, the, the reason why I didn't have aspirations for motherhood is I watched my mom have such a difficult go of it. She was a single mom and my parents were on and off up until I was 13, they were together, then they weren't, and then they were, and then they weren't. And it marriage just looked to me like this very volatile, unstable, upsetting, heartbreaking adventure and endeavor. So it didn't ever cross my mind that there was any other way that you could be married, even the kids I grew up with, because you know we were quite poor. So even the kids I grew up with, their parents' relationships weren't good either. You know, mm-hmm. everybody I knew had an alcoholic father. Everybody I knew had um, money was tight. The relationships were strained. So I didn't have before me in any direction where I looked. There was no um, sort of quan. There was no like marriage that I looked at and I could say, wow, that's a beautiful marriage. Um, and even though I had an aunt and uncle that I adored and I loved and I was super close to, they had a beautiful marriage, but they had no kids. So there was nowhere that I looked that it was like the white picket fence, the 
2.2 kids, the dog and all of that. So um, I just thought for me, the best way to have a life would to be on my own. And, you know, of course, I was a dancer who then became an actress. So I just thought, wow, I'll just be fabulously famous. And I'll have just all kinds of great lovers like Elizabeth Taylor. Oh my God. She had a lot of marriages too, but she had a lot of great lovers. So I more was like in the, you know, I, I looked at Marilyn Monroe and I looked at Liz Taylor and I looked at all those classic Hollywood um, babes. And I thought, I'll do it like that. That looks like a good time. <laughs> be in charge of my own relationships and be in charge of my own sexuality and just run, run the town kind of thing. Okay. So you're 19 and you're, aspiring actress and a dancer and you find Mm -hmm. yourself pregnant. Yeah. So now what does that look like for you? Well, it's interesting. And I touch on this in my book as well Is you know, we all have to be so careful. I think we, when you're young, especially you live in absolutes, right? Like I only will, I never would. Um, I always, and we speak like that and we're idealistic and we feel invincible. So it's easy to, to, from the outside looking in with no life, with zero life experience to be like, Oh, I would never. So I was that girl growing up in my group of girlfriends. I was the one that was like, Oh, if I ever got pregnant, I would never have an abortion. I could not abort a baby. Um, that's not right. That's not fair. All my reasons. And then here I was four months into dating uh, uh, this new guy who I, you know, I knew I was in love with, strangely enough, even though it was such a short courtship and we were young. Um, I just thought when it came down to it and I really sat and examined how I felt the universe worked and I, my belief then and my belief still now is that every, every soul has a purpose and every soul has a journey that they're here to complete. And when I looked at it from that point of view, I thought, well, where is it my right to cut this soul's journey off mm-hmm. if there now is their time to come and I'm the vessel that they need to come through then what what gives me the authority and the power to decide that this little being and this soul isn't going to come down to earth and live out its own journey and path so that was really what hit me was the feeling that um this this being didn't ask to be born, didn't be asked to be thrust into this scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it chose it, but it was up to me to see it through for, now I know it's a girl, see it through for her. So that was really what it came down to. And of course, Yannick immediately was like, marry me. And I said, well, why don't we slow down a little bit? Why don't we just have the baby, see if we actually like each other, and then go from there. And um, about couple months into my pregnancy, he was like, I don't like you at all. Actually, you're a crazy person because <laughs> I was crazy. Well, yeah, well, you know, some people can't use the pill and hormones are, are you know, not everybody go- breezes through pregnancy like, you know, Giselle Bichon, right? Like some mm-hmm. of us blow up like <laughs> truck drivers and go crazy. That was me. So, but we worked it out. We're here. We are. I think that I was later. that I was the same. With my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, then there's, you know, there's the saying that, you know, daughters take all the good out of you and that's why you bloat up and you retain water. I mean, all, like, the beauty, the, all the beauty from you. All the beauty. <laughs> I mean, like, can we ever unsee Kim Kardashian's feet when she was pregnant with Northwest? No, but you know what, Chantal, okay. I, I started my career as a 
newborn and maternity photographer. And I could, I could bet who was having a girl and who was having a boy. Really? Yeah. Based on that, based on bloating and because your whole face changes when you have a girl. Everything. I was pregnant from my tip of my head to my toes. I gained so weight. I. For me, I was living in California when I was pregnant with her and every, it was Panda Express for some reason. I was addicted to their crispy orange beef chicken oh or crispy, crispy beef or something. Anyway, it was, it was not good. It was a lot. <laughs> okay. So now you have three children. You've moved to LA because we'll you're split ha- our time between LA and Toronto. So we're still okay. in, in Canada. But you stayed together, even though he said, I don't think I like you very much. <laughs> yeah. He didn't actually say to me in the time, thank God, because I was pregnant, I probably would have murdered him. Um, but no, he, he, he admitted to it later. He was like, I had this really cool chick. We were having the time of our life. And then all of a sudden she was crazy pants. So um, yeah, he's admitted it to, yeah, but we're still together 32 years later. So our eldest oh, congratulations. girl is Thank you. Our middle girl is 29 and our youngest is 23. So you find yourself together, three children, moved to LA for your husband's career. Now, are you still pursuing acting at this time? Um, no. Well, what happened was we were in Toronto and the first place we had to go for his work was New Zealand. So we went to New Zealand twice. Then we were back in Canada and then we were in LA when the girls were um, five and three. And then that's where our youngest was born. She was born in LA. And then we came back. We've been, we've been back in Canada and he's been working here as an actor for like 20, 21 years now. So we do go to LA and we split our time, but most, even when he books stuff in LA, it shoots back in Canada. Okay. Which is kind of and were you still pursuing your career at this point or were you focused on 100% being a mom? Um, no, I was doing both. I was still doing both. It wasn't until we moved back to Toronto, um, 21 years ago that I realized it was interesting. What happened was, um, I got, I got told a lot that I was too young to obviously pay play a mom, which was fair. I was 28 or 29, but that I was too old. And since all casting people in Toronto knew that I was a mom of three kids, I was too old to play not a mom. Mm. So all of a sudden, like my career dried up completely. Nobody would see me for anything. But was that perception because they already knew about you? 100%. Because to me, I think, 100%. Okay. Because you don't, you, you're, you have like a baby face. <laughs> so I think that had to have been perception. It's a lot of work. There's a whole village there. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, it's true though. It's true. No, um, you know, it was really weird and it was very hard on me emotionally because I'd grown up on stage. I'd been dancing since I was four years old. Um, it was all I'd ever wanted was to, you know, see my name in lights and to be a performer. And it was really heartbreaking because it was totally perception because let's be honest, producers and directors didn't know that I was a mom of three kids, right? And a lot of the work that was LA work, they didn't know that I was a mom of three kids. So it was all on the side of the casting. Casting agents just would not bring me in. And it was their belief that she's a mom now. So mm-hmm. she can't, you know, she can't play whatever, the, you know, the sexy girl at the bar or whatever. It was just, she's only a mom. And yet you're too young to actually play a mom. So you can't come in for anything. And so I got frustrated with that. And while I'd 
while we'd been living in LA, I had trained and certified under Billy Blanks. I don't know if you remember the Tybo yes, phrase. I had the videos. Yeah. 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 So when I was in LA, that workout is what helps me to lose all the pregnancy weight from my third pregnancy. So Billy decided that he thought I'd make a good instructor. And he approached me and said, would you ever want to be an instructor? And I said, yeah, sure. So I trained under him for six months, um, got certified. And just as I got certified, and just as I was getting ready to teach for him in LA, Yannick got um, nothing too good for a cowboy, which brought us back to Canada. So then I came home and I'm like, well, now I can't act. Nobody cares about that. And now I've got this certification I've spent all this time on. So I opened a gym. I opened a, the Tybo Center because I was the only one licensed in, I was the only one licensed outside of Los Angeles at that time to teach the workout. So that's what I did for five years. Okay. So this is what I love about you. You just follow your intuition and take the next right step for you. Like, were you afraid to start this gym or like, was there any... Or did you just say, I'm going for it? Well, yeah, of course I was afraid because I'm a creative person. I'm not a business person, you know. I don't know the first thing about drafting a business plan and whatnot. Um, but I knew that I had something that nobody else had. And, and that right then and there, I knew that it was I would be a destination point. So I wasn't concerned about where would I get, where would I get, the press, like how would people know who I was and what I was doing and how would I compete against everybody else? There was no competition. I, I had zero competition. The only competition I had were people doing knockoff classes, but Billy was so aggressive with his cease and desists um, that anybody who tried to teach it in Toronto and Canada and called it Tybo got shut down right away. And then all, you know, immediately there would be an article linked back to me. Oh, Billy Blank shuts down, blah, blah, blah. And that. So I had all kinds of media and it was, it was easy to be successful because I was the only gig in, gig in town. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm the kind of person that I guess, and probably as I've gotten older, this has changed, but initially I'm, I, I'm very reactionary and very passionate. So if I'm passionate about something, I won't rest until I make it a reality. And, and that was one of the things that I did with the Tybo studio. I was just like, well, I'm going to do what Billy does. I'm just going to teach Taibo classes. It didn't come to, didn't even enter my brain that uh, there was going to be a huge demand and I would have to teach 15 classes a week by myself because I didn't have anybody else certified to help me. So that, that was a little uh, hairy there until Billy finally um, passed one of the people I trained and let her become certified as well for about, so about two and a half years, I was teaching 15 classes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I didn't know this because to me, you're so multi-passionate. Like, so how did this turn from Taibo to then like you renovate, you develop TV shows. Now you have, you have a Marina up North in Northern Ontario. You like, you're constantly evolving and changing like, and now, okay. And you're an author. So what brought you to the point? Like, how do you do this? How do you do it all? Um, well, some days not very well at all is how I do it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it can be a little maddening um, when all the plates are in the air at the same time. And mm -hmm. there's usually there's usually about six weeks every year where everything intersects and everything is, you know, all my hats have to be worn at exactly the same time. And that's obviously very difficult and stressful. But I think um, I'm, I'm just the kind of person I do better. I do better better 
when I'm stimulated. I do better when I'm challenged. I like to, um, I like, I like very much to, um, I, it's funny cause I'm not very, I I'm extroverted, but I like to be alone. It's very weird. Like I'm not very good in a big crowd, but you can, you're an extroverted introvert. I've read that. That's the thing. Yeah. And, and, and I really, really am because for example, whenever we have to go to an event or a gala or something that, um, requires getting dressed up and kind of being the focus of attention up until I read Shonda Rhimes book about five years ago or when, whenever it came out, um, say yes. Mm-hmm. I realized that I would say yes, but then really meant no. And so after reading her book, I took ownership of only saying yes to the things that I knew within myself were soul soulful and, and, and that I knew that I could see through that I would be able to take it across the finish line and, and stop just saying yes, yes, yes. All the time when I knew I really meant no for half of the stuff that I was saying yes to. And that really helped me to be able to, um, not have my time or my days filled with things that weren't part of my passion, you know, weren't in my wheelhouse of interest or, um, in things that I aspired to be able to cross the finish line of life and be like, Hey, um, you know, I'm really glad I did this instead of that, because I found that, um, in being a mom and also in, in running the household and doing our finances and maintaining a household, and then also having all my own aspirations and, and being emotionally available for three adult daughters was that a lot of my day that I had to do were all had to's like there was not a whole lot of I I I want to or I like to or I get to so I had to I had to really take some time and say okay well if this were my last week on earth will I have been doing the things that I want to be doing that are passion for me and that fill my soul. And there was a lot of stuff that wasn't. So it then became about delegating things in my life that weren't essential for me, but were a part of my daily life. Almost like, you know how moms are like, it just all of a sudden it becomes your thing that you're doing. You take on everything. You all of a sudden become everything to everyone and you forget yourself along the way. 100%. So um, between being a partner and a mom, there was a lot of, not a lot of time left for me. I was just tasking all day. It's just like, I felt like I was just clicking off a to-do list, but not, not, not a whole lot that was on that list was about me and what I wanted to do. So that book really helped me stop and take stock. And then, you know, I went from there, I rolled into other books of like, okay, well, uncovering my passion. Well, what is my passion? I've always liked writing. Um, you know, I have a hundred stories going on in my head any given time, which is where creating TV shows came from. And I just, so I'm very creative and it's important for me to be able to spend my time sometime every day fulfilling that. And I found that as I started to put that in as a practice and eliminate some of those things that were just like, heavy task to do stuff. It, mm-hmm. it, it gave me more balance and gave me more center. And I was, I found that I was happier and more comfortable in my skin and nicer to be around. 
because I was well that's important right right yeah. sometimes my kids are like why are you so angry mom I'm like I'm not angry and then I realized it's that resting face that resting face when you have 20 gajillion things running through your mind constantly you look tense in the face 100%. Well, yeah, because it, I mean, it comes out, right? It comes out in your health. It comes out in your, in, in, in the subtle subtleties of life, you know, like your snap too soon and, 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 you know, you're, you're edgy or you don't sleep well, or, you know, it's, and look, here's the thing. And I say it in my book over and over and over again, parenting is not about perfection. It's about owning your, it's about mm -hmm. owning the mess that you are because most of us, even if we had an idyllic life and childhood and have great parents that are still together and are still in love, everybody got something dumped on them, right? Everybody mm -hmm. got something put on them and put into them that doesn't, doesn't you, it's not part of who you believe you are, but it's in there because it was put in by how you were raised. Mm -hmm. And as parents, we need to, A, we need to recognize that we do that subconsciously. Some parents do it consciously. Like, I mean, when you look at the race issues that we're seeing um, and, and you listen to people talk mm -hmm. and what they say about um, people of color and other races, it's, 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 for people who aren't that way, it's shocking. But so some parents are consciously putting stuff into their children because they want them to be like them in their worst way, you know, with racism and with uh, bias and, you know, sticking to a, a political party, whether they're right or they're wrong kind of thing. And then I think, so you get some of that in parenting where people are intentionally doing harm. Mm -hmm. But I think for the most part, most of us, are subconsciously putting things on them that we would, it, it breaks your heart to hear that you've done it, you know, because you didn't, you, I mean, who goes into, I'm going to have this kid and I'm going to do the best I can to really mess them up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no one does that. that. <laughs> Nobody does that. Um, you know, well, the bulk of people don't. And then, so it happens. And I think that what we need to realize is as, as parents is that it's not if you do it or not, it's how you deal with when it's brought to you that it happens. You know, like with our girls, you know, it's hard to hear sometimes when they're sharing with you, you know, after going through therapy or, or, or having a relationship with somebody that they come to you and they say, hey, you know, like I realized that I behaved this way in this relationship and it was because I watched you behave, treat dad that way or I watched you treat mom that way or I watched you fight like that. And, and you're like, wow, so all, all this stuff that I didn't realize was falling downhill landed on you. So I, um, I think in, 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 in life, in being a person, I think we just need to recognize when we're on the wrong path or when the path that we thought was the right path has done harm that we just take ownership for it and say sorry and move into another direction. You know, you do your pivot and you, you, you go on in, in, in a way that's more beneficial and healthy for everybody that comes into contact with you. And it's, I want to talk a little bit more about that path and, you know, you're getting to a certain age and you realize the path that you're on is not the path that you dreamed of with you wrote this book in your late forties, correct? Yeah. So yeah. Did, did that happen to you? Did you one day wake up and say, you know what? I, I'm a great mom. I did a great job here, but I still want more for myself or how did that come about for you? 
Well, I think I've always been that person that wanted more for herself. Even as a young girl, I remember, you know, watching my mom struggle as a single mom. You know, I had my first job at 12 making pizzas in the food court at the mall um, because I knew that life was so hard financially for my mom. I knew that if there was anything I wanted above and beyond what she could provide, I needed to go and get it for myself. So Mm -hmm. from the time I was 12, I understood that in order to make my life better, that responsibility fell on my shoulders and and not in a woe is me or victim way, but in in a very powerful way in the understanding that you're, you're not ever stuck in your circumstance. It's up to you to break out of it. You know, uh, you know, I'm also a sexual abuse survivor. So, um, you know, never once did I feel like that was my story. I mean, it's a part of me and it made me who I am, but you know, being raised by an alcoholic, neglectful father, well, didn't make me hate men. Um, you know, being poor didn't make it so that, Oh, I can't ever rise above my socioeconomic standing in, in the world. Being raped didn't make me feel like, oh, you know, well, I'm just an object and I don't have any worth. I'm just what, you know, I'm just my exterior. So I feel like... Can I I interrupt you there for one second? Where did you pull that from? Because I know a lot of people have to go through all this personal development, but it seems like it was was in you or did you need to work on that on your own or... Yeah. I mean, I did a lot, a lot of work I've spent so much time in coaching and therapy and healing. Um, I think a lot of that came, the, the healing and, and the trust came from, and I don't know how I was able to do it at 18 years old, but picking a partner who was so gentle and so opposite and, and, and of what I known all males to be like in the past in my life. So I feel like it was just, it was just synergistic. It was all the pieces that came together allowed me to have the space to do the work because I was with somebody who was very emotionally available and who was very supportive of talking things out, getting help, going to counseling, you know, doing retreats, um, you know, spiritual retreats and stuff like that. So I think, I think a lot of it has to do not only with what's inside of you, but your key relationships and if they're supportive in that journey of healing. Right. And I, the, the ambition that was always, there, that was always me. Um, but as far as recovering from all my childhood traumas, that was fully from having a partner who, who was supportive in, in, and and helping me get there. But, but also doing work on himself so that he could be the partner that I would need long-term. So I think it was collaborative really. And, and, you know, and, and where the book came from, it's interesting because I had started writing a fictional book back in 2005, 2005, 2006. And then I finished that and then it went into editing and, and came back and then I shopped it and I, I got some good traction, but Uh, still nobody was picking it up. So then I hired another editor and then did a whole gut on the book and started it over again. And so by the time 20 is went on and on and on. And finally I was working on it with another editor in 2018 and 
had a great, great, like, like the, the book was really kind of finally flushed out and was going to be structured in a, in a way that I, I could see it selling. But I just was burnt out. And I had this idea for a series of self-help books or how-to books without losing your cool. So I'd said to her, and she had been a literary agent in New York for 25 years. I said, hey, have you ever seen a nonfiction author go from writing nonfiction to fiction successfully? Because, you know, back in the day, it used to be there were television actors, there were film stars, and then there were, there were theater stars. And they never crossed genres. Mm-hmm. You were theater and theater was best. And you were film and you were famous and you were fabulous. And right. TV actors were like kind of like eh, mid-grade performers. They're on TV. Now you see it. Now they're on TikTok. Yeah, now TikTok is the next thing. But um, so for me, I, I just had this thing in my head that if I did nonfiction, I could never do the, the fiction book that I love, that I've been passionate about for 15 years, would never see the light of day. And when she assured me that that's not true at all and that she has many authors that she um, took from fiction to nonfiction, uh, from nonfiction to fiction, I said, okay, I'm going to write this book because I'm halfway done and I'm telling you it's going to be a hit. And then I'm going to write parenting your teen without losing your cool, being in a relationship without moving without losing your cool, breaking up without losing your aging without like, it's like a whole series. And she said, go for it. And I wrote it. She went through it. She's like, it needs very little editing because it's very conversational. And it's I know totally- I love that about it. I love yeah. it. I love well, your writing style. Thank you. Well, here's the bottom line. Look, if you are a parent, you already know the bulk of what's going on. This book is not so much about telling parents what to expect and whatnot, but that it's more like a girlfriend supporting you saying, That's what I was going to say. It's like your BFF saying, I've been there. This is what you can expect, right? A hundred percent. And that you're going to be okay. Yeah. It's funny. I've read a couple of reviews. I didn't even know there were reviews there were reviews on my books. So I didn't even know to go read them. You're so somehow, chill, like honestly. <laughs> well, I'm also mouthy and it's like, if somebody writes a review and I, I might have some things to say, but so funny. So any, anyway, I ended up on reviews one night and I thought it was hilarious because this one, this one person reviewed it and her thing was that she was angry that I hadn't touched on Um, She thought it was disrespectful of me to write a book about parenting, but to not talk about special needs children or autism or any of the Asperger's and whatnot. I didn't respond. I should have, because the reality is why on earth would I, as a mother of three children who have no special needs, Mm -hmm. I've, I've not parented through any of those. No, your experience isn't in that. No. I, I, I did not live that. It would be more disrespectful for me to sit on my high horse and talk about raising three children without any of those special needs and issues and then pretend to know how to parent through it. I have girlfriends who have children in wheelchairs and who are mute and, and, and a whole gamut of, of, challenges that they're faced with in raising their children. If I were going to write that book, I would edit their story Mm -hmm. into a book, but I would never speak to it because I didn't live it, you know? So I thought that was quite interesting. And then I had another person say, well, don't you think you wrote the book from a really negative point of view? You know, I didn't write it 
from a negative point of view, I just felt that looking, I'm 51 and I've noticed on the, on the internet, certainly on social media, Instagram, in, you know, in particular, it's so, everybody's got a filter, myself included, mm-hmm. so that their, their posts look exactly the same. Their kids, these mummy bloggers, their kids look fabulous. Their marriages look perfect. Their houses are always clean. They're throwing these epic dinner parties with just fantastic foods, so prepared perfectly. I just thought that's not, that's not how their lives are really going. And I just felt that it was a huge disservice to the young moms who are at home, you know, breast milk on their t-shirts, haven't had their hair done, probably haven't shaved their legs in months that I thought I want to write from the reality of momming, not, not the, the persona of what being a mom is, you know? So I didn't think it was negative. I just thought it was real. I loved it. I thought it was real. And this, like I said, it's like your BFF is telling you the real deal. Like this is what's going to happen. But I did want, you did mention that you're 51 and I wanted to ask what advice might you have for women in this in midlife that might think you know i'm too old to start something new i don't know if i have it in me now it's just time to you know have some cocktails and and take it easy but there's something on their heart that they know that they could do or they know that they're made for more than is there any any advice you could impart to them on how to to follow that intuition or that little nudge on their heart yeah, I mean, I, I mean that just always makes me tear up, right? Um, I know I have goosebumps. Like, I don't know, I because I felt that at forty, and I yeah, just and I sure. thought, you know, there's more for me in this life. Yeah, and I wasn't afraid, but I know that a lot of women have beliefs about themselves that keep yeah. them back. And yeah. what advice might you have for them? Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, for me, I feel like it's so, and I mean, it's, we've got a long way to go. We've got a long way to go um, in life and with the planet and with the way it's structured. Certainly for us, we're fortunate that, you know, we're both white females and that the, the, the ability to pivot at any age is certainly readily available to us at any time. So I, I, I feel for all women through all ages, you know, there's so much expectation and there's so much put upon us that we're supposed to just settle with, you know? And I think that particularly when you hit, I was, I was actually fine in my forties, surprisingly. Um, There were definitely moments towards the late, my late forties where I thought, wow, maybe none of this is going to come together. Like my aspiration to be an author, my aspiration to create TV shows that actually get bought and end up on television. Mm-hmm. Like, and it w- it was hard. It was hard to come to grips with, to think that because yeah, and then I'm going to be 50 and then I'm going to be forgotten. Then I'm supposed to just fade into the background and wait till I'm a grandmother and wait mm-hmm. until I can, I can wear that hat of look, look now I'm a, gra- now I'm somebody's grandma, you know? So it was, it was, there was a lot of self-reflection. There was a lot of work done. Um, there was a lot of tears 
Um, it was, it was definitely a difficult time. I think, you know, for women who are right now in that place where they're, they're, they're looking cause it's, it's, it's when you take stock, right? You're like, okay, well, I've spent the first 50 years doing all these things of these things. What do I want to keep? Like, what do I want to continue taking with me for the next 30, 40 years? Mm-hmm. Um, what will I physically like able body be able to take on and continue to do that? I love well, that's like, a whole other episode. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It's true. Like dance yeah. or whatever the things yeah. that you're passionate about is physicality, like tennis and golf, whatever. So I think you've got the most important thing that needs to happen when you're in this place is self-examination of all the things you've done, where you're exactly sitting at right now in that list, write the list out. And then look at every piece on the list of what it, what you do do and what you have done in the first 50 years, what are the things that you're still passionate about? What are things that you've always been passionate about that you've not even started? You haven't even tried. You haven't even begun. Like in my mid forties, I started horseback riding because I'd always wanted to horseback ride. Mm -hmm. So I think you've got to reconcile, release the things that don't serve you that never have that have just been put on you delegate those away. If you can, you know, the things that just you, you resent having to do in your daily life that just don't bring you any joy. And in fact, do the opposite. They just drain you. So that's one of the things I did as I looked at those things and I was like, I'm not doing those anymore. I'm not spending my entire day paying bills, banking, writing emails, handling, you know, talking to lawyers, talking to accountants, moving business stuff around. Cause I'm not a business person. I'm a creative person. Mm-hmm. So I hired somebody, I gave that job away. Um, and it was a big chunk of my day and then got more involved in doing daily writing and making sure that I was honing my writing craft and then, yeah, taking up other things. And, and, and one of the things I ended up taking up, which I was a never even in my brain was becoming a marina owner. So now I've got this that. <laughs> 65 year old marina. It's been on the lake for 65 years. Two of those years that it's been with me. Um, and I scoop ice cream and I sell gas and I store boats and we repair boats. And I'm going to come up and visit you. We're on you our should. way. Yeah. You we're should. on our way up North in a couple weeks. I'm going to drop in. Oh yeah. Come by and see. And you know, I never thought, but me, for me, it's always been a big thing about giving back to children. So all the charity work I do, um, hold on one sec. My dog's driving me crazy. That's okay. Let him in. All the work I do, all my philanthropic work are, they're all children's charities and organizations. So kids have always been a big thing for me. And I've always felt that Really, and it's corny, but you know, Whitney Houston said it best the children are the future. Mm-hmm. So treat them well and let them lead the way. And I'm always heartbroken to hear of kids who, you know, either through illness or through their their financial strain and, and, and their poverty can't get ahead. So for me, writing a book about raising kids was a no brainer because it's 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 so it was the next right step for you. Yeah. And I'm very, I'm really, really passionate about if you're going to have them, do it well. Because mm-hmm. like I said, way back when we started this chat, 
it, they didn't ask to be born. No. You brought them into this world and you brought them into your world. You brought them into your life. The least you can do is do a good job and, and take care because they don't belong to us, right? They're given to us. So I'm super passionate about don't, don't ruin them. Don't spoil them. Don't raise them to be entitled. You know, we all revere, and I say it in my book, we all love athletes. We think they're awesome and we love their discipline. We love their strength of character and we love their fortitude and we admire it and we'll pay, we'll, we wear their jerseys and you know, all the mm-hmm. gamut. And, and, but everybody wants their kid to get a ribbon, even if they don't win. It's, you know, we're talking out of both sides of our face. Yeah. That's, that's another episode. Okay. So when you come back on your teen book, we're going to talk all about that because that's a whole hour conversation or more. Yeah. So, um, I think, I think it's important as women, as we go into these next years of our lives is that now is the time when you're in your fifties, you're still your health God willing is still good. You're still physically strong. You're mentally still, you know, you've got mental clarity and hopefully you're financially in a place where you can, you can slow down a little bit and take some risks in doing things that really speak to your soul. And this, these are the years to do it, right? These 10 years. And then, then, you know, you go into your sixties, your seventies, your eighties, and you don't have anything really left to check off on the list. So that's, and that's the thing. Kind of, no regrets, right? Well, yeah. And, and, and for me, that's a big, big thing. It's that you're only here once as you and don't wait for tomorrow what you can do today because none of us know if we're going to get tomorrow. So I kind of, I guess that's why I do so much all the time is because I, I have so many passions and so much that I'm excited about that. I want to know about and that I want to try to do that. I'm not willing to just assume that I'm going to do it next year or in five years, because I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get five years. So now I give kids ice cream and watch them smile and roll around with our bulldog. It's just another layer. Oh, I love it. Chantel, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today and let everyone know where they can find your book. Oh yeah. You know, there's so much going on in the world right now. I actually forgot I had a book, to talk about. <laughs> um, but they can find it on Indigo and all the Amazons apparently. Okay. And follow her adventures and her multi-passionate life on Instagram where at Chantel Bisson. Okay, perfect. Thank you again, Chantel, for all of this gold. And I can't <laughs> wait to see you at the Marina and I can't I wait to see what else you, you do in this world. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, beauty, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for taking the time and listening to today's episode. If you loved what you just listened to or know someone who would, share on your Instagram by simply taking a screenshot and adding to your Instagram stories. Be sure to tag me so I can send some love back your way. For all the resources and links mentioned in this episode, please check out the podcast page on my website, www.kathyspence.com. And lastly, if you found this information valuable, please subscribe to Align and Hustle so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. See you soon.